0: do dinosaurs prove that god doesn't exist are dinosaurs mentioned in the bible no that can't be possible because we didn't discover them did we well those and more answers are coming your way on the rap report Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian Podcast Community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Well, welcome to The Wrap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, the Executive Director of Striving for Eternity and the Christian Podcast Community, of which this podcast is a proud member. We thank you for joining. We thank you for those who share these episodes because that really— Helps us to have or helps others to find out about us, and this is one I think you might want to share. Just saying, not only because of the topic, but because of the guest. If you haven't heard of Bodhi Hodge, well buddy, I said this before we recorded, you write on more of a wide range topics than I think anybody I know. I think last time you were on, we were talking world religions. We were talking cessationism. We were talking a whole bunch of things. Now we're going to talk about your newest book, Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. Um, Wait, dragons? What do they have to do with dinosaurs? Let's hold that thought. So if folks weren't here for the last time you were on, and I think, I think I said this to you, Bodhi, I believe you may be our only return guest to the rap report. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't remember of any, but you are such an, in, in, the, well, one is so, so informative because of the so many different topics that we get into, but uh, your books are so engaging and so I, I always have an interest, always love when you come on. So I'm looking forward to this. But for folks who don't know who you are, introduce yourself briefly. Let them know where you work, uh, why you write books, because, you know, you're just bored and have nothing else to do, right? Oh. No. <laughs> uh.
1: Yeah, well, my name is Vody Hodge. It's actually great to be back on the show with you there, Andrew. Um, I I love getting out there talking about different subjects, particularly apologetics topics, uh, especially creation versus evolution, authority of scripture. So, of course, I'm going to end up diving into a host of different subjects. But my background, I've got a bachelor's and master's degree in mechanical engineering. And that right there should tell you something. engineers have their, their fingers in all sorts of stuff, it seems like. But uh, I used to teach at Southern Illinois University, and I used to work at Caterpillar uh, as All a right. test engineer for a large uh, cat equipment. I used to go out and test it, and I loved doing that. But uh, once I went into ministry, um, I, I wouldn't change it. I love getting in there, diving in, uh, looking at various subjects in light of Scripture, letting God be the absolute authority at any subject I look at. And uh, I, I just love doing that. So it's great to be back on the show with you.
0: Well, thanks. So let, let's get into the fact that, i think when we all have a love for dinosaurs i mean this is one of the things that i find so interesting every child seems to be just inundated with things about dinosaurs and mm-hmm. what seems to come along with dinosaurs all the time is millions of years millions of years it's almost as if they're one in the same. effect. Being when After I got saved and, and started going to church, I used to go to more of the independent fundamentalist Baptist churches, and some of those churches, not the one I attended, but some of those that also believe in the King James only, <laughs> would deny that dinosaurs existed. I, mm-hmm. I got into discussion with someone, and the reason they denied dinosaurs existed is because they could not separate dinosaurs from evolution. Can, right. can we as Christians do that? You know what? I've seen other denominations do that
1: too. Uh, I've also seen some people who are kind of a little bit older. They've had that concept going, hold on a second, dinosaurs. They've just been so intertwined with an evolutionary worldview that people, they just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And uh, we have to be very careful about that. Um, you know, I, you know, I grew up in a church where we never really talked about dinosaurs at all. We just kind of left it all off. And, um, Essentially, what happened was my parents sent me to a public school. That's where I learned about dinosaurs from the secular world, and our church never discussed it at all. Um, You know, so, I mean, I I can see why so many people struggle with getting good answers uh, when it comes to the subject of dinosaurs. And I'll tell you, when I started studying this subject, this one here was the one that really got me to turn around and go, "Okay, the Bible really can be trusted on any subject. That's where that's where I led when I was doing the study on dinosaurs uh, years ago. This, You know, I mean, I, I've been working on this book for five years, but at the same time, I first got into uh, a lot of the creation evolution debate as a result of reading a book on dinosaurs in the Bible by Ken Ham. Actually, he'd written one many years ago. <laughs> And uh, little did I know, uh, many years later, I would marry his uh, oldest daughter. Uh, So I always thought that was kind of neat. But uh, no, that got me interested in the subject, going, hold on. Dinosaurs don't have to be connected to an evolutionary worldview. Dinosaurs are land animals. Therefore, they're made on day six. It's as simple as that. Man was made on day six, so they lived at the same time. All of a sudden, that is a conflict with the secular worldview that we've all just been hit with. And to me, that was like an eye-opening moment, like, oh, hold on. Yeah, we can look at dinosaurs from a biblical viewpoint. Of course, we can separate dinosaurs from that secular worldview. We need to remember it's the secular view that's wrong. It is a false religion, a false view that's been imposed on people. And let's get back and look at this subject in light of God and his word.
0: Yeah, because I think that part of the thinking is that the word dinosaur, it's not actually all that old. No,
1: it's a new word. Uh, mid-1800s, uh, a man named Sir Richard Owen, he was the one who first coined it or termed it, he came up with dinosaur and dinosauria, and I uh, used that, and, uh, you know, with that particular terminology, that's a new term. Now, if you think of uh, you know Bible translations into English, you might think of the 15 and 1600s. There was Tyndale, the Geneva Bible, there was the Great Bible, the Matthew's Bible, the Bishop's Bible. People are arguing over those Bibles. So finally they came together and said, let's, let's get a standardized translation. They got the King James in 1611. And, of course, it's gone through a lot of revisions. And what a lot of people don't realize is most of our modern translations, one way or another, still have roots and ties back to uh, versions like the King James. But if you think of that, okay, we have English translations, a lot of them, you know, by the 1600s, and yet the word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841, we don't expect to find the word dinosaur in the Bible. In fact, you grab a Bible search program, you search dinosaur, it's just not there. But there is another word that's used in the Bible that does include creatures like dinosaurs, and that brings us to the word dragon. In the King James Old Testament it's used 22 times, and the Old Geneva Bible is 24 times. And it's not one word, and it's not one isolated book. There's about two or three words uh, that we translate as dragon, and we see that in hosts host of different translations as well, like German translations and Portuguese and Greek translations and so forth. So we do see this word being used uh, as dragon for a long time. And uh, it's just been in modern times that people decided, hey, let's pull the word dragon out, unless it's a metaphorical instance. You know, they like to keep a handful of those in there. But uh, by and large, it's it's there in these old uh, classic translations.
0: So that's, I mean, that also goes to some that a lot of atheists usually would challenge on the word unicorns in the Bible. And so mm-hmm. for folks who don't, pay, if if you read a King James Version, I don't hear this argument as much anymore because people aren't reading the King James, but it used to be a very common thing of, oh, well, you know, unicorns are mentioned in the Bible, and those we know those are fictitious creatures. Well, the modern definition is, but in 1611, a single-horned animal like a rhinoceros, a Mm single-horned rhinoceros, and that was what it was in Webster's Dictionary, was a single-horned animal such as a rhinoceros. And yes. so I've seen unicorns.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've got a picture on my door out here. <laughs> uh, you know, because there's there's two types of rhinosaurs. Uh uh they have uh, uh two different scientific names as well. You have the the uh, rhinoceros bicornis and the rhinoceros unicornus. And uh unicornis obviously has one horn, the bicornice has two horns. Not a lot of people think of a two horn form, but uh uh, there are some one-horned uh, uni- unicorns, a, essentially a rhinoceros unicornus, that are still floating around out there. But back in the past, there was a big one, a lasmosaurus, or not, uh, if I'm trying to think of the term right, uh, I, I can't remember the te- uh, technical term. But it was this gigantic horn that had a singular horn and you know what? The way that's used in the scripture, you know, God is going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt like a unicorn. You know, you get out of its way, yeah. You know, especially with that big horn. So, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, people don't realize that. So, so dragons, you're you're saying, and I would agree, is dragons are referring to the same creatures that we refer to today as dinosaurs.
1: Yeah, there's a overlap with all that. Dragons more of an overarching term, but let me first explain. Uh, When it comes to dragons, uh, people, commentators, historians, everybody agreed that they were real. It's only been a modern idea, really, since about the 1900s. It was floating around in the 1800s that uh, dragons are a myth. Now, here's, here's why. Ancient commentators talked about them. We have descriptions of them. We have written accounts of them. We have encounters with them over and over again. But in the 1800s, they were largely gone. From the 1500s, particularly to the 1800s, we saw a massive decline in these encounters with this dinosaur dragon-like creatures. So in the 1800s, there's only a couple of them. But people had this strange and odd idea that animals could not go extinct. It was just, it was very odd that people used to think that way. Today, we, we understand animals go extinct all the time. We've seen dodo birds and passenger pigeons, and a lot of people think West African rhino has gone extinct. We see extinctions all the time. But in the 1800s, they didn't think that could happen. So if hmm. you didn't see a creature, they thought, well, it was a myth. It didn't it, it didn't exist. And so that started floating around in the 1800s that, hey, maybe these things are a myth. And if that's the case, let's change some of our Bible translations. Let's get this word dragon out and let's switch it to something else. But dragon itself is more of an overarching term. It included flying reptiles. It included sea reptiles as well as a, a host of different land reptiles. That would have included these dinosaurs. See, dinosaurs are a very specific type of land reptile. They have one of two hip structures, so they raise their body up off the ground. So something like a Komodo dragon, crocodile, alligator, they're not technically a dinosaur because their legs come out to their side and the body naturally rests on the ground. But if it stands okay. upright like a T Rex or a Stegosaur or a Triceratops, yes, by definition, they're a dinosaur. So, yes, dragons would include the dinosaurs, but it also includes other things. Uh, I oh, like to say okay. it like this all the dinosaurs could be called a dragon, but not all the dragons could technically be called a dinosaur.
0: You know, so why is it, do you think, that we have such a fascination with dinosaurs? Why is it that? Every child seems to love, especially boys, love dinosaurs.
1: You know what? When I was a kid, I loved dinosaurs. Uh, you, you know you're exactly right with that. Um I think there's a fascination behind it for a couple of reasons. First off, we don't see them anymore. So we have this wonder in our mind, like, wow, what would it really be like to see something like this? The second thing is a lot of these dinosaurs were huge creatures. Uh, you know we don't we don't sit there and get mesmerized over. Little bit of insects that have gone extinct. But you know, you start thinking of a of a brachiosaurus something 60 feet long. Yeah, I'd be curious to see that sort of thing. Um, you know, so I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So, you know, I know when I was a kid, I was really influenced by dinosaurs. In fact, I should I still have the book. Let me grab it. I want to show you. So <laughs> uh, I was I was in grade school and I was in one of those scholastic clubs, you know, where you can buy a book and it's like 35 cents. Okay. You know, nobody can buy a book for 35 cents. Anymore, but um, this was the book I bought. I still have it. The Lit- of the Dinosaurs by Troll Associates. Very first line of the book. Millions of years ago. Yep. Now, as a child, I mean, I grew up in church. As a child, though, this book to me was the gospel of dinosaurs. To me, this, this was the unquestionable truth. They died at the end. This last one got caught in a tree. Um, I mean, That's the way I thought. As a young child, as a young boy who was really interested in dinosaurs, I was heavily influenced by this book. That's one of the reasons that I want to get books out to start challenging the secular worldview, get people back to understanding them from a biblical viewpoint. Because it was tough for me to take some of these ideas that I grew up with and have to pull that out and say, hold it, that was wrong. Let me get back to the Bible.
0: Yeah, because when we have all the movies now that come out, the, the Jurassic Park, and I, I only yeah. saw the I saw the first one, and and that was what in the nineties I believe, but it was, oh, that was way so, back, yeah. It was so heavily influenced with evolutionary thought and mm-hmm. teaching and feminism, and it, it was. Yeah, I noticed it. It was so blatant that I, I was like, wow, okay. It. <laughs> why would I watch any more of them? But, but the thing is, is that the the whole culture seems to want to tie that, look, we see, we have evidence of dinosaurs as if that is proof we have evidence of millions of years. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're right, we're we're infatuated with the large dinosaurs, but were they all that large?
1: No. There's a lot of dinosaurs that are quite small. Uh Heterodontosaurus, for example, is about the size of a chicken. Uh, I know that's one of those ones that's You know, the name is bigger than the creature. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of them that were small. I think they said if you take all the dinosaurs and you average them out, it's about the size of a bison or a horse, something like that, just to give you an idea. So not all of them were big. We're fascinated usually with the big ones. Um, You know, like you mentioned, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, they sometimes exaggerate dinosaurs. Like, they have these uh, velociraptors that look, you know, six, seven, eight feet tall, running around chasing people. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, they were, they would only come up waist high on me. So, that's yeah, a full-size one. Now, there were other ra- raptors, like a Utah raptor, not a velociraptor. It was a little bit taller, but um, y- you got to understand, Hollywood tends to exaggerate things. And they're pushing an agenda many times too and you you see it in these movies jurassic world and even journey to the center of the earth you know they had t-rexes chasing people we don't even know maybe these creatures were very timid and very fearful of man you know and yet you know a lot of these dragon legends there were accounts where there were conflicts of course ever since the flood the fear of man's been in the animals and there's conflicts but uh uh yeah it's uh it's interesting the way hollywood puts their spin on things you're you're not
0: saying Hollywood would exaggerate. Oh no! <laughs> oh yeah,
1: they're they're in the business of selling movies. You know, if they can scare you with a dinosaur, and you go back and and buy a second ticket? Don't you? Know, you yeah, don't no, do
0: I, it. I I think I disagree. I think they're they're in the business of selling propaganda. They're in the business of selling yes. an agenda, and mm-hmm. part of that agenda requires a, a denial that God exists and teaching th- anything that would undercut the the belief in god so making dinosaurs and millions of years connection that is going to go right along with what the, what their agenda is for sure right so you know, when we talk about the dinosaurs the large dinosaurs um many of those would be in the reptile family right correct right. we see skin imprints they were scaly creatures um
1: technically uh, you know with these dinosaurs they would have been more like scutes they're specialized forms of scales so, uh, I mean, we find that with a T-Rex, with uh, uh, all sorts of different creatures, you know, right there where they died. You know, we can tell it's their skin imprints. You know, in a few cases, we found uh, some soft uh, tissue found in bones. We've got uh, some incredibly preserved dinosaurs in some instances. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty certain these things were reptilian in their style. Uh, we have found some uh, lungs that have been preserved uh, in certain dinosaurs, and uh, those were reptilian-style lungs. But, you know, we're in a culture that says dinosaurs evolved into birds. And so, you know, we're in a culture that really wants to try to tie dinosaurs into bird-like creatures. And so people try to make missing links. And the way they do that is they take dinosaurs and they try to put bird-like features on it. The second way is they take birds and they try to put reptilian-type uh, cre- uh, features on it. You know, Archaeopteryx is a great example of that. It's, just, it's, a, it's an ancient perching bird, but it had claws on its wings and it had teeth. And uh, they say, oh, well, those are reptilian features. Well, not really. There are some birds that that have teeth, like hummingbirds can have teeth, uh, particular ones. And Heightson down in uh, South America, they have claws on the wings in the juvenile stage. So those are features of a bird. Uh, In fact, all birds have this gene that you can turn on and off. And they've done this in chickens where it'll grow teeth. It's a uh, talid 2 gene. So those... (laughs) Those are, they're simply bird features, but people want to say, well, they're reptilian features to try to make a missing link.
0: I think, so. I, I think I want my chicken without the teeth, but <laughs> yeah, I, <do> too. <laughs> I still remember in high school, I watched, they, they had, it was a cartoon of how the dinosaurs, yeah you know, they got into birds and they had this, you know, little like dinosaur that wasn't very big running up a, a log, a log or a rock and jumping off of it. And, and then eventually that. it would, it would gain wings and yes. then eventually fly away. And, 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 they explained like, you know, uh, flying squirrels were, were the evidence of that. They, they showed us a, a you know, cartoon of a flying squirrel doing the same thing. And they had the, the, you know, mammals that went into the sea and, and suddenly, you know, they became, you mm-hmm. know, whales and dolphins. And I still remember thinking back then, like, okay, if you keep jumping off a of, big rock or you go into the sea and you're not equipped for it, you're not going to suddenly stay there and produce offspring that can adapt better to that. You're going to either die or get out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here, jump off the cliff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or you sit in water. You're not equipped for it. You're, you're not going to survive in there. So you're just going to get out of the water. You're not going to reproduce children that are better equipped for that.
1: Right. In fact, it's interesting that they do that because we'll still see examples of that over and over again. And yet that's called Lamarckian evolution. The evolutionists by and large don't even believe that form of evolution. This was like the precursor form before Charles Darwin. Uh, You know, it was the kind, you know, where, well, if the giraffe reaches his head up enough, he's going to get a longer neck to eat those high leaves. But, you know, as we've observed, you don't get Lamarckian evolution. And, uh, you know, Darwin's like, yeah, that's wrong. You know, even though he had a little bit of influence from that. Uh, you know and he was suggesting natural selection the problem with natural selection though is you have to have the genes already there to select for it so where'd they come from in the first place and i think darwin recognized that uh, by his sixth and final edition of origin of species he would really backed off of natural selection being the sole uh generator for an evolutionary worldview. and then people of course want to appeal to mutations but we don't see mutations cause all this information gaining uh, uh, mutations to to make something new, uh, new complex uh, structures and features. We don't observe it. When we see mutations, it's like cancer or defects. It, it destroys information quickly. So those changes are actually going in the opposite direction of an evolutionary worldview. We're not observing the onward and upward. We're seeing the downward trend. And... I think a lot of people are confused at that because they're told an evolutionary worldview at school and they're given examples of changes. But these examples of changes are going in the wrong direction and they just assume they're moving on.
0: Yeah. Well, the the thing I find interesting with reptiles and this I learned when, you know, out there answers in Genesis when I was there, reptiles continue to grow until the day they die. And so this has been something I've used often. I'll ask people, okay, so you, you believe dinosaurs are millions of years old. Yes. Do we have dinosaurs today? And, and people almost always say no. And because what they're thinking of is the huge dinosaurs. And I'll ask them sometimes, like, why not? Like, do, we, do you not see any? And they'll always refer to the big, ooh, they, where do you think they're hiding? What do you think, Loch Ness Monster? And the point that I end up making, I say, okay, if if reptiles continue to grow until the day they die, and we know that human beings instead of dying in their sixties, seventies, were dying in their eight hundreds, nine hundreds, you're talking about a twelve to fifteen percent increase in lifespan. Could I mean shouldn't we expect the dinosaurs to be twelve to fifteen times larger?
1: yeah theoretically uh they they should be getting bigger if they're living longer especially in a pre-flood world Uh, you know i mean you got to think when god created everything he created a perfect and yes when adam Eve sinned against god god cursed the ground he cursed the animals there were definitely changes going on there these creatures were not going to live forever for example but they're still going to live a long time because the earth was designed perfectly after the flood you know god rearranged continents and things were shifted everything was all mixed up and messed up You know, we're going to get more extreme weather and so forth. So things aren't always going to have a perfect environment like it was essentially designed for. So, yeah, we expect there to be massive changes. And since the flood, that's when we really believe a lot of these creatures have gone extinct. Not just dinosaurs, but a host of different things. You know, I I sometimes sit back and wonder something else, too. And I actually talk about this in the book. In uh, 1973, we enacted the Endangered Species List how many things would have been extinct if we wouldn't have enacted that? Mm. I mean, we probably wouldn't have bald eagles. We probably wouldn't have rhinos or elephants or lions or tigers or cheetahs. host uh, of different creatures are probably gone. Condors. Um, we, we might well be sitting around going, I wonder if lions were a myth. You know, I wonder if elephants are a myth. You know, we see these old drawings and these accounts, but we just don't see them anymore. So, um, You know, it would almost be in the same category as these dinosaur dragon-like creatures. So, you know, when I think of things like that historically, there were certain events that caused certain extinctions. I think people were involved in hunting a lot of these creatures. I mean, let's face it today. when, When hunters go out, you know, and I've been a hunter, I, you know, grew up on a farm. Um, you know, the the deer that I'd want to shoot wasn't the little one. <laughs> it was the big one. I want that big one. You know, that's the trophy, you know, in one sense. I wonder if uh, ancient hunters were the same way. Hey, there's a huge reptile out here. That's the one I want. You know, so in one sense, they're a target if they're bigger.
0: we see, if you just enjoy the meat, you want the smaller ones. That... <laughs> that's right. They taste better. <laughs> it's all about what you're hunting for, right? You want the trophy. Right. You want the big... Big, something big. If you're trying to feed a lot of people, you want something, you want a lot of meat. Yep. So it always comes down to to the goal, right, of why you're hunting there. But but you're right. It is the, there is the aspect that the size does, I think the size of the dinosaurs do fascinate us. I mean, folks who are listening, think about how many times do you go to a museum and you see the skeleton. Now, here's the thing. You see that huge skeleton of a T-Rex or you see the huge skeleton of a blue whale both impress us. It, mm-hmm. it's, so it's, I don't think it's about their, the fact they went extinct as much as it is the size that we're impressed with. The fact that, they, that we don't see them anymore, that they've, so many have gone extinct, I think just, I think that that fascinates us. Mm-hmm. But so many try to argue that proves millions of years. So, can do we have biblical evidence that we could use to say, well, yeah, yeah, dinosaurs exist. And by the way, you know, just remind folks, we're speaking with, with author Bodhi Hodge from Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. It is available, What's well, available at Masters Books, but I'm sure it's also available at Answers in Genesis. Correct, so, you, yeah. you could go there. I, I would hope they carry your book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been flying off the shelves, actually, here. So,
0: yeah. So And, and I mean, because it is helpful for, for, for I mean, look, yeah. if you are a parent with, with young children, or in my case now, a grandparent, you know, this is a book that I'll be sitting down with and, and mm-hmm. teaching, even if I'm not reading it or having my grandson read it you know at, when he's much younger, it's going to be something I'm going to be teaching them, the, the things of it. So do, do we have biblical evidence for dinosaurs, or as you said, dragons?
1: Yeah, you know what? Uh, We're all looking at the same evidence. I think that's a big point that a lot of people need to understand. It's not like the evolutionists have their evidence and we have our evidence. We're all looking at the same evidence. The difference is the interpretation of that evidence. Of course, the secular world wants to look at dinosaurs thinking in terms of a secular humanistic worldview. That is Big Bang evolution, millions of years we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're going to start with God and his word. God created everything in six days, made the dinosaurs on day six. Then I made the flying reptiles and the sea reptiles on day five because those are the flying and the sea creatures. Now, we do find their bones. Uh, we find massive numbers of them. In fact, we find these different dinosaur graveyards in Mongolia and China, here in the United States and different parts of the world. So we do find their bones. We find this, this evidence that they used to exist and they died in some sort of massive watery catastrophe. That's the flood of Noah's day. That's what we need to do. We need to recognize, hey, these rock layers from Cambrian largely up to, you know, Eocene, Miocene, things like that. These are uh, layers from the flood of Noah's day. And I know the post-flood boundary people do argue the exact spot for that. But uh, the dinosaur layers, everybody, uh, you know, that's looking at it from a biblical viewpoint agree these rock layers are from the flood of Noah's day. So when you think Cretaceous, Triassic, Jurassic sediment, where dinosaurs are, Noah's floating around in the ark up above them when those are being laid down. So we we need to look at this evidence from a biblical viewpoint. In the secular world, they, they assume those rock layers were laid down slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years with no major catastrophes like a flood. No, 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 we're not looking at it that way. We're thinking in terms of a massive worldwide global flood that laid down the majority of these rock layers that have fossils all in about the course of a year. So we're looking at the same evidence, two different interpretations on that evidence.
0: Okay, so this is a topic a lot of people don't quite understand when you talk about the layers, because the the teaching that we have in books are that there are these different periods of time, and we have dinosaurs in different layers, and that's how we could prove the millions of years. That we have the you know, the Caprinium explosion, Hmm. right? Where all of a sudden we see all these fossils. So uh, after this break, what I want to do is ask you to explain it a little bit more detail for some people that don't understand all of that, the layers and levels. How does this prove, like how how can we explain this? Because so many use it for millions Mm -hmm. of years. We really see it in a bulk of them in a single layer, right? So- Like, so let's dig into that. You know, and I and I know I don't want people to go. Oh well, this this is you know all the stuff of layers of you know the Jurassic. Well, the Jurassic they they, th- they get excited about because the movie they made about it. But when you talk about all the other layers, it's like oh this is so boring. Well, we don't want to put you to sleep. But if you do want to go to sleep, I will encourage you. This way is get yourself a good my pillow. Uh, you could get a my pillow and get yourself a good sleep. And their their newest my pillow is my pillow two where they have an ability to do temperature control in not only their pillow, but also their their uh, mattress topper. If you get one of those, which I love my mattress topper, that has been one of the biggest things to help my sleep is the their three-inch mattress topper. And so I have been testing out their new, I got their new one to test out. So now even my guests, my guests in my home get the old mattress topper and i have the the new one and it has resolved the temperature issue between my bride and i because i tend to run a little hot and she doesn't and so the it, it i don't know how they did it but it's great Bodie you and i were talking about their slippers uh yes I, i'm in my slippers amazing. all day long yeah they're they are <laughs> amazing i i destroy you we were talking about this i destroy slippers i don't know what i what it is i just i wear them all day long because I, I work here in the house and I go. I used to buy the cheap ones at Costco and go through them. You know, six months to a year, I was done. I have the same. I, I bought two pair of my pillow slippers two years ago. I still have them. They're, I still wear them. I, they're great. How, how comfortable are yours? Yeah
1: my, yeah, my slippers are are just amazing. I'm not kidding. You know, I run around on these things. You know, I do a lot of walking in them as well. And they just hold up. They're rugged. They're built like they're supposed to be. I'll tell you what, they're amazing. And they're comfortable. Yeah. They, they just really are.
0: They, they are. I so. en- I enjoy mine so much. I, I mean, now look, I, folks, I, I begged MyPillow to be a sponsor here because of the fact that I love their products. So if you want to get some of the, their products, go to MyPillow.com. Use the promo code SFE. It stands for Striving for Eternity. The promo code SFE lets them know you heard about it here. So they continue sponsoring us, which we appreciate. And so if you want to do that, that would be wonderful. Then you'll get not only a good night's sleep, but you can get robes and towels and bed sheets and mattress toppers and slippers. And they even have socks. I, I, I may try those, but I don't know if there's anything different with those, but so, so we're with Bodie Hodge from, with the book dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible. He is with Answers in Genesis. And so, Bodhi, let me ask the question I asked before the break is, can you explain a little bit better for folks that may not understand all the geological layers? Because we when we talk about those layers, all oh, those words sound so big, except for Jurassic because a movie was made out of it. That one everyone knows. But do we really see different dinosaurs in different layers and only in those layers and is there a layer that i alluded to that really we see most of them in and what could that mean
1: okay just so people understand the idea of millions and billions of years actually came from rock layers it was in the late 17 early 1800s when people first started to say let's let's leave the bible out of it let's leave that global flood out of it and let's look at rock layers and so at that point they started defining the rock layers based on what it's made out of, is it made of limestone or sandstone, but also by what fossils are actually in it. Now there's a general trend, the stuff at the bottom tends to be stuff that you'd find in the bottom of the ocean. And that actually makes sense in light of a global flood, because the stuff at the bottom of the ocean is going to be the first stuff covered up, it's going to be the first stuff buried, first stuff fossilized, none of that stuff's fleeing to higher ground. Now, as you go up through these different rock layers, we find different fossils. Three of those layers contain dinosaurs. You've got your Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous rock. Now in the secular world, they say those rock layers ended about 65 to 66 million years ago. Now, of course, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at it from a biblical viewpoint. They were still laid down during the flood of Noah's day. Now, let's say you find a dinosaur but right? in a rock layer that isn't one of those three rock layers. Let's say, you know, like Permian is just below it, or, you know, you've got Eocene that would be, you know, a couple layers above it, uh, you know, the, that Cretaceous rock layer. Let's say you find a dinosaur in one of those. And you're like, hey, look, we found a dinosaur that's not in those three rock layers. Here's what happens. They def- redefine that portion of that rock layer to be either Cretaceous, Jurassic, or Triassic, because it has a dinosaur in it. See, it's sometimes kind of arbitrary the I, I way could they define those rock layers, wrong, but they doesn't define that, it by what's in it. That sounds a little so secular. A dinosaur,
0: I mean, it sounds circular, it. right? It
1: is. It's exactly it, circular.
0: The, you define the, the the it's this layer because you That's, find the dinosaur <laughs> in it, but... We know that the dinosaurs are that old because we find it in that layer. huh?
1: Yes. Well, okay. So here was something that was found. It was published in one of the secular journals. They found a T-Rex and they found the jaw of a parrot and they're essentially touching each other. Now that's a problem in the secular (laughs) world because it's the dinosaurs that supposedly evolved into the birds in their story. So they have those right there. So here's what they did: they drew a line between the two, and they said, "Well, this one's like 66 million years old. This one's more modern." You and see, that's the way they try to get around that sort of stuff. So there was, a, the, right there
0: so there was an earthquake, and and it just shifted down, right? <laughs> right now,
1: sometimes they'll try to use that excuse, but in this case, you couldn't see that from the fossils. Yeah, here was one that was really good. They found a theropod dinosaur that had stomach contents. So, in the stomach content, you know, you can see the old bones of what it had eaten for its last couple of meals there. And they identified it as multiple birds. So, that's a big problem because it's the theropods that supposedly evolved into birds. And here you find this theropod with birds in its belly. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, well, we didn't expect to find that. But they couldn't really reinterpret that one so much.
0: So... I mean, how would we as creationists then explain the fact that we even see these dinosaurs in the, in the rock layers? Why do we see them just in these, these three? Can, is there a way we could biblically and scientifically explain that?
1: Okay, here's what it is. Those are laid down while the flood is going on. Noah's floating above it with representative animals on board the ark. All the animals outside the ark, they're going to die. And the Bible says that they all died. Right there in Genesis chapter 7, by the 150th day, actually, all the land-dwelling, air-breathing animals had died. A lot of these animals die. They're buried somewhere nearby. Sometimes they're transported. Sometimes they're fleeing to higher ground. They all get caught up together, and uh, they get rapidly buried. Now, a lot of them probably rot and decayed, but uh, those rock layers are from the flood of Noah's day. And I would suggest they were probably by the 150th day is when they were being laid down, or right around that time frame.
0: Now, if, if we see the rock layers, th- the theory that we hear from the seculars is mm-hmm. that you'd have the sediment level off and, and harden, and then future sediment would come on top. So the, the rock layers supposedly are very, very clearly delineated, very clearly laid out. Mm-hmm. But have we ever been able to observe that that? doesn't actually work that way, that we we could see rock layers and uh, laid down, say, quickly?
1: Yeah, we do see examples of rock layers laid down quickly. Um, in fact, you know, when you think of something like Mount St. Helens, Mount St. Helens is a volcano in eastern Washington. It blew its top in 1980, blew, uh, when it got in, in 1982. And uh, when it did, it actually laid down rock layers quickly, sometimes very fine rock layers, too. Um, it happened quickly in in just a matter of hours. Sometimes by hot pyroclastic flows, we call that, you know, they lay down in certain layers. Sometimes there's ash layers that came down on it. So a catastrophe can cause rock layers uh, to form quickly. So, see, creationists and evolutionists, we actually largely agree on these rock layers. We agree that these rock layers are real. We agree on the fossils that are in it. The difference is the interpretation of those different rock layers. And that's what it always comes down to. The secularists insist these things were laid down slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years. But it can't come from a global flood in their worldview. For example, if I were to go out and write a technical paper and submit it to Science Magazine or Nature, you know, one of the secular journals, and I'm arguing for a worldwide global flood, they would reject it out of hand and say, no, 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 we cannot have a global flood because it destroys the idea of millions of years. Now, if I turned around and wrote a paper on a, on a massive flood that covered the entire surface of Mars, oh, sure, we'll take the paper.
0: Yeah, even though there's no water there.
1: (laughs) No liquid water found there, uh, at least not that we're seeing, you know. But, uh, you know, the earth is still covered with about 70% of the flood water. We we need to remember that it was very nice of the Lord to give us 30% back. It was very gracious of him. But, you know, we need to remember the secular world's interpretations on this are wrong. That's the problem. And so since their interpretations on the fossil layers are wrong, their interpretation of the dinosaurs are also wrong. And... um, start with the bible makes sense god made them they were living at the same time as man um they died you know we find all this evidence from the flood they came off the ark they've been dying out ever since
0: you know it's amazing because i remember watching discovery mag uh, discovery channel and they were talking about the grand canyon and when you look at the evidence they were showing how there is certain minerals at the top of the grand canyon that they find in the lower part of the canyon and so their, their argument is that water cut the canyon. And now, granted, they always say it took a long time to do that, a little bit of water, a long amount of time. But this Discovery Channel was saying it could have been a lot of water in a short period of time, and that would explain why you have these minerals on top and below. And it was amazing because they were so quick to say, but it wouldn't have been a global worldwide flood, <laughs> right? This yes, would have been local. You had right. a lot of water in a desert just like it's the same thing you're saying with mars right there's no water there right this is a desert by definition a desert is lacking in water and so they there the claim is there was somehow a lot of water there that would have formed it but they had to mention but it's not a worldwide flood because that they're looking at what the evidence says but they don't want to accept the conclusion uh that it makes yeah (laughs) <laughs> right,
1: And that, that shows it's a worldview issue. You see, they're looking at the, the Grand Canyon, they're looking at rocks, they're looking at dinosaurs from a different worldview. And when people <laughs> look at things from a different worldview, guess what? There's going to be conflicts in that. And big picture, God is always right. God knows everything. God's always been there. God is the absolute authority on every single subject. And so when the world says, well, we don't want to believe God, we don't want to believe the Bible, what they're doing is they're elevating their own thoughts to supersede God. And that's actually fallacious. That is an Mm -hmm. arbitrary authority. There is no greater authority than God. So it is a faulty appeal to authority fallacy when they say, well, I don't want to believe the Bible. I want to believe people. And uh it's just an arbitrary authority, so it's a worldview issue. We need to get back to the right worldview, and we always need to get back to God in His Word. Then,
0: well, and let me let me mention this, and this will be a little bit of a diversion from your book, Dinosaurs, <clears throat> uh, sorry, Dinosaurs, Dragons in the Bible. But you work at Answers in Genesis. One of the things that folks may not realize, if you if you haven't been to the Creation Museum, what is wrong with you? I mean, I, I I I could be wrong, Bodie. I don't think you need to go to the Creation Museum to get to heaven. But why take the chance? <laughs> um, the the, well, the re- you put it, <laughs> I'm ready to go to the museum now. No, I'm here.
1: But, that's actually where my
0: office is. So. The, you know, there's some. I the, there's not a single area of wasted space in the museum. That, that's my conclusion. Mm. When you first walk in the museum, I didn't know this even though I've been through the museum a bunch of times before this, but I remember going through the museum with Carl Kirby. He used to work there at Answers and Genesis and we're walking through, even at that that area where they have designed for, if in case there's a line and it's raining, it's indoors. It's very kind of Answers and Genesis to, to make sure that even if it's raining, you have this walkway to get to the tickets because a lot of crowds do come through at times, buses and whatnot. And so as you're in there, it looks like it's just a wall of what looks like rock, and mm-hmm. it's just design, but it's actually not, and, and right. people may not realize that, but there is one section, as you get close to where the tickets are, where you suddenly see rock layers, if if that's what they are, we'll, we'll let Bodhi tell us, but rock mm-hmm. layers that suddenly curve down. Uh-huh. So that is something that I know before i just thought it was design it was just art and carl said no it's not it was purposeful mm-hmm. you want to explain the history of that since we're talking rock layers it was fascinating to me yeah it's
1: actually modeled after some rock layers that actually bend and move and go like that now rock layers don't normally do that and uh, so and, and know, just for for the, moment, for the listening
0: walk- for the listening audience he he put his hand down and up so it's a curve like a v structure
1: Right. <laughs> like yeah, I kinda, I'm kind of going out of the screen here. And I've seen things like this out at the Grand Canyon. You know, there I, I've actually got some pictures of Monument Fold. It almost makes a Z V-shape. And uh, you're like, whoa, rocks don't do that. You know, if you try to bend rock, it's going to crack and break. Uh, but, you know, there are several places like that, not just in the Grand Canyon, but different parts of the world. I've seen some out in the Appalachian or Appalachian, Appalachian. Out in those mountains on that side of the country, uh, (laughs) where you've seen some go up, up and around, and then it keeps going. And what it is, that's still soft sediment when it's being kinked and bent into place, and then it solidifies into solid rock. Which shows that all those rock layers are being laid down at the same time, not separated by millions and billions of years. So that's pretty powerful. And yeah, you walk right in the museum and a lot of people walk right by and don't
0: even notice it. I walked by it for years and didn't know it. And that, that's why it, it actually, I, I'll be honest with you, Bodhi, it, that time changed how I walked through the museum. I mean, I've walked through the museum reading everything there is to read, but I didn't mm-hmm. always pay attention to like, well, the entranceway. And right. I started to do that more and started asking questions of, oh, wait, wait, why, why is this there? And, yeah. It's interesting because each time I, I get more and more detail. Now I will admit, just just between you and I I, I, I might get in trouble for this, but I do have a picture before before the museum opened um, when when we went through with my family the first time, and I do have a picture of my son with one of the decorations. And on one side you see this animal, and it's it's all you know, looks like an animal. On the other side, it says, "If you can read this, security's on their way." So I took a photo with my son, <laughs> and, and, son oh, and and I I did find that funny that somebody someone did finish the side that isn't going to be shown to people, but they, they decided to leave a little note. I just thought that was too funny, and I had to get capture the picture. But yeah, our
1: artists have been brilliant here at what they do here. The, so. the
0: detail that they do is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I encourage folks, go go to the, the Creation Museum. If you're going to go, you might as well get the, a double pass. Go to the museum, go to the Ark. I, I will tell you that the museum, plan two days there uh, because you can go outside, walk around. There's so many things to see outside. There, there's even zip lines if you want to give the kids mm-hmm. a break in the, if you have kids that don't like all the, the reading and museum types. But I'll tell you, my son hated museums. He was, I, I think he was eight or nine years old the first time we went through and he he hated museums we went through the creation museum and we were already trying to figure okay we'll kind of break it we actually went for three days to try to break it up figuring he wasn't going to stay for all of it we went through much of the museum in a single day and he was fine he was asking to go back the next day and oh, so wow. we're like, okay, so but they have the planetarium. So there's there's a lot of things you could do, just visit, go going the outside, going to the planetarium, seeing some of the, the things, and it'll take a it'll take a full day to walk through, especially if you're gonna read everything. So I would say take two days there, take a day at the ark, but be prepared to walk. <laughs> I'm just saying Yeah. I, it's seen, not
1: small. <laughs> no,
0: our our church youth group is headed out to the Ark uh, next month and we have one person who you know is going to be with the youth but not so good with walking bad knees and i said get the scooter you're going to need it yes. and and they were like oh i don't want to be in a scooter i'm like look everybody's in a scooter it's i have yeah. gone through okay so you know who justin peters is i've oh, i went yeah. i went, to, I went to the arc with justin and he's in his scooter and i joked with him i said this is the first place i've ever been with you where you're outnumbered because you got the only scooter that's like yours. Everyone else has the, <laughs> the one provided by answers and Genesis. There was there. I mean, a lot of people do that because yeah. it is, it is big. That's the whole purpose of the arc yeah. to show you how big yeah. it is. And there's not as much reading. It's more videos to do that takes a day to walk through though. But I will encourage, I always encourage people with this start with the museum Spend two days there so that you read everything. You understand the background of what's going to be taught in the, the ARC. But the big thing of the ARC is its size. There's a lot more yeah. videos, less to, to read than the museum. But if you do the ARC first, I know people that did this. They, I, I had a friend of mine went out. He didn't listen. They went to the ARC first. And they only did one day at the museum because the next day they sat in the hotel because they were shot there they walked it was too much walking so i, I encourage yeah. them do, do the museum first <laughs>
1: so yeah, make sure when you get to
0: the ark you're like okay let's start my walk how many
1: steps yeah. am i going to get in
0: oh you're going to get anyway. a lot in <laughs> yeah, you'll,
1: you'll get a lot in you know, yeah it's I huge and should... you need go back and forth you know on each deck and um you know and then if you go out you know there's a zoo back behind it. And, you know we've been expanding the zoo so you can go out through there and you know, by the end of the the day at the ark, I've seen a lot of people just sitting there like, "Oh boy, that was amazing," but their legs are shot. They're they're, they're not really
0: are ready. <clears throat> they're not ready for it. Yeah, they, and you know, at the zoo, they yeah. have oh, what, what are those those animals that your father in law always talks? Oh, the the, the kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, we have to be dealing with the
1: kangaroos. And, yeah, um, you know, I, my wife's from Australia, and you know, when we were down in Australia. You know, there's places you can go and actually pet and feed the kangaroos, and we're like. We need to do that, and of course, uh, uh, and you, you
0: do. Know, you it's, walk it's, right. It's, yeah. I was because that was the only. I mean, I I don't remember if I've seen kangaroos live before, maybe at a zoo, <clears throat> but you walk right through where the kangaroos are. They tell you not to pet them, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but they're they're just sitting there. And, right there. Yeah, yeah. We were gonna do that with crocodiles.
1: No, that
0: that wouldn't have been a good idea. Why not? I I had a <laughs> a friend in college who had a crocodile. It was it was maybe. <laughs> six inches long, but when, when it got to be about a foot and a half, two feet, it wasn't good for a college dorm room. Uh, he and uh-huh. in his infinite wisdom decided to release it into, he just threw it into the lake that the school had, huh? <laughs> you know, and so that other than the fact that it ate probably all the fish that was in this lake, cause it was a lake that doesn't get restocked, but there there were some fish in there, but, uh, yeah, I, I think they eventually found it and killed it, <laughs> but oh, uh, yeah, di- crocodiles are not meant to be pets, just saying, so, no. so, but a lot of people do think that crocodiles and alligators are a form of dinosaur, and, and so getting back to dinosaurs, dragons, and, not, the, yeah. and the Bible, do my. we have modern day dinosaurs?
1: Right now, remember you got to go back to the definition. The definition of a dinosaur have one of those two hip structures, and they're called lizard hip and bird hip. By the way, so you can see where they want to do the bird. The funny thing is, what has the bird hip are things like the the stegosaur. Um, you know, it doesn't. Those are not what they said evolved into birds. Um, they say theropods, which have the lizard hip. But yeah, those are the ones that stand upright. Now it's interesting though. The word dragon, oftentimes does include creatures like uh, crocodiles. So if you think of that overarching term dragon, yeah, that would include creatures like uh, uh, leviathan, uh um, Plesiosaurs and flying reptiles, and dinosaurs, but also crocodiles. But dinosaurs, very specific. So it's just uh, one of two types of hip structures that w- really raise the body up. So,
0: so we, yeah, we could say we have modern-day dragons. They, they,
1: they think, oh, wow, this, is, this reminds me of a dinosaur. And there probably are similarities because they're both reptiles. But
0: uh, yeah, they're definitely different. So, so do we have any evidence that humans and, and dinosaurs were together? Because I think if we had that evidence, that should be compelling to argue for what we would argue for a younger Earth, and not, an, not an, a young Earth, as, as Paul Taylor says, 6,000 yeah. years is a really long time, but a yeah. younger Earth than they would argue. Uh, right. do, do we have examples made in the Bible or in fossil record that we could have humans and dinosaurs together?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you start with the Bible, a lot of people point to Job chapter 40, <laughs> which as you go through the entire chapter, the entire chapter just gives this description of a creature that is called behemoth. And uh, its description just is, is so reminiscent of something like a sauropod dinosaur. This is a massive creature. Uh, it eats grass like an ox. It's got a tail that moves like a cedar. You know, so I mean, it's it's a massive creature. It's made alongside Job, and uh, I mean, it goes from mountains to the to the marsh. You know, and in amongst the reeds and the lotus trees, hardly give it shade. This is some sort of massive creature. A lot of people think that might be a dinosaur. Um, of course, there are a lot of things that we find out in the world that is pretty good evidence of man and dinosaurs together, and these are called petroglyphs. Think cave drawings and etchings and so forth. People have been etching animals all over the world. And uh, in my uh, book, there's a whole chapter here that looks at some of these. Some of these creatures look just like dinosaurs. One of my favorite ones is over at Carlisle Cathedral. A man named Bishop Bell died around the year 1500, and he's buried in the church. I'm uh, glad we don't bury people in the church anymore, but uh, there's a brassing that goes along the outside of his grave right there on the floor. And if you zoom up to it and you get, get up there really close, you can take pictures of all sorts of little animals that are etched into that, and you'd readily recognize. Those animals, then you get to a couple that look just like dinosaurs. So, I mean, that's just one of many examples. But we find these in various parts all over the world, and it really is amazing. I think those are great confirmations of man and dinosaurs at the t- same time.
0: So, so Bodhi, as we wrap up, we're discussing your book, Dinosaurs, Dragons in the Bible, Bodhi Hodge. You can get it at Master's Books or at Answers in Genesis. Uh, I, you know, the, the thing that, you know, I end up seeing with this is but a lot of people think of dinosaurs as for kids. And so as we wrap up with with a, a last question for you is, you know, why does this become important for us who are believers?
1: You know, uh, us as believers, we need to be standing on the Bible and we want to see people trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and savior. We want to see the gospel progressed. And with that, there's actually a connection between people going, hey, the Bible is true. The gospel found in the Bible is true as well as the message of dinosaurs. Like we've been saying this whole episode, people been influenced thinking dinosaurs uh, are connected to an evolutionary worldview. When people start with the Bible, it makes sense of dinosaurs. It makes sense of dragons. Yeah. It helps the Bible come alive to people. It helps them realize, hey— the Bible is true when it comes to the subject of dinosaurs, and because the Bible is true when it comes to dinosaurs, the Bible is also true when it comes to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is a reason for that, and I'm right up front about that. I'm not just here to say, hey, I'm telling you about some cool moral stuff or some neat things about dinosaurs. I want to see people wonder to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm right up front about that.
0: And folks, this is a thing that you're going to find different with answers in Genesis. A lot of people view Answers in Genesis as, well, when we talk here on Apologetics Live on my other podcast about apologetics, you, many in the audience know the difference between presuppositional apologetics, which I would hold, versus evidential apologetics. And many people think that Answers in Genesis is evidential apologetics. The reality, though, is, I want you to hear what, what Bodhi just said, because that is a major difference. I had a young man he actually worked here uh, by, by where I lived in, uh, he li- worked in Princeton once, you know, they, once a year CERN would, would do, a, they had their, their Princeton labs where they do these experiments. And if you're not familiar with CERN, that's okay. But it's a big scientific, very few people can get in to do that research. You, you have to have a PhD in, in physics and, and other things. And it's, it's really very, very elite people. And he was one of them that worked there uh, without a PhD. So he, he was a very bright individual. He didn't like answers in Genesis. And I, I asked him why he said, Well, you know, I, I just don't think we should be approaching things to try to argue from science to, to prove to people that God exists. And I said, But that's not answers in Genesis purpose. They, they prove to Christians that are being attacked by the world that God doesn't exist by all this supposed evidence, and they say, no, look, here, we can explain the Bible very easily and scientifically. So what Answers in Genesis's goal is, is not to prove the world wrong as much as it is to prove the Bible right. And so Mm -hmm. it is a presuppositional approach, to which which people don't understand because they look at it as just all this evidence. But the evidence is not being provided for unbelievers. The evidence is being provided for believers to know the Bible is true when inundated by the world. And so I, I really think that the major shift people have to understand is that I don't think Answers in Genesis is an evangelistic ministry as much as a discipling ministry. And that makes a major difference because if it's evangelistic, then you're reaching out to the world with all the evidence. But if it's discipling, you're trying to say to believers, look, the Bible is true. We can support this both biblically and scientifically. There's no reason to question the Bible you have in your hand when the evolutionists come along and make up fairy tales. Yeah, Yes, fairy tales, because when you believe a frog can become a prince that's actually a fairy tale. When you believe in magical bangs that go boom and go, go from nothing to everything, that that's a fairy tale. Actually, that's magic. Yeah. So <laughs> the the reality is, is that that's not our worldview that has these things. It's theirs. But Bodhi, I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you writing the book. Uh, I think it's going to be very helpful for the church at large to be able to communicate the the truths about what what we hear from the world about dinosaurs and what we see in the Bible. So thank you for coming on. I'll give you any last words that you would like to share.
1: No, not really. Uh, God bless you guys. Keep up the great work there. And, uh, you know, we are a presuppositional ministry. We start with God and his word to look at all aspects of reality. Any piece of evidence, we want to start with the Bible to look at it. And that is a great method to do. And I want to encourage people to do that.
0: All right, so folks, go get your copy of Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the Bible by Bodie Hodge. Like I said, you can get it at Masters Books. You can get it at—I'm uh, sure you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at—actually, uh, I'll tell you what, Anson Genesis. Yeah. I'll tell you what, and also to make it easier, folks, I will put a link in in our store at Striving for Eternity. I'll link that book so you can you can get it right. F- from, from there to, to get it at Amazon. So I'll put that on on our site as well so that folks can, can pick that up from Amazon. So Bodhi, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, it's always a joy. The, you are a wealth of knowledge uh, and I, I do hope to be back out your way soon. I, I try to get out there every year, but I, I don't have a plan right now, but I am trying to work on a trip to Ohio. And whenever I do that, I kind of try to s- swing down your way. So hope to, to be out there and see you soon in person again. You bet. God bless you, brother. God bless. And folks, with that, as we say here, that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.